We have enjoyed over the last uh, seven weeks, this now being the eighth, uh, this series in the Psalms, looking uh, at the particular kinds of Psalms that are there for us in the Psalter, in this songbook of the Bible, these poems uh, that we find there in the Old Testament. We saw at least seven different kinds of Psalms, hymns, songs of thanksgiving, laments, songs of remembrance, songs of confidence, divine kingship psalms, wisdom psalms, and now today we turn to Psalm 119, the longest of the psalms. Psalm 119 is, is an interesting psalm. As we said, it has 176 verses. It's composed of 22 separate stanzas, each uh, consisting of eight verses. And each of the stanzas represents or is written in an acrostic style uh, according to the alphabet or the Hebrew alphabet. And so uh, many of you in your Bibles uh, around Psalm 119, you'll probably see uh, before verse 1, the word Aleph uh, in in English, it's spelled out or transliterated A-L-E-P-H, Aleph. That's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Then after that, before verse 9, Bet. Then after that, before... Oh, my pages are stuck together. Before verse uh, 17, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Vav, Zion, so on and so forth. You can learn your Hebrew alphabet just by reading through Psalm 119. Now, you probably won't learn the characters, although some of your Bibles may have the Hebrew characters even next to their English transliteration. But each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, all 22 of them, uh, composes or, or begins the first line of every verse of that stanza. And so in Hebrew, every line of the first eight verses begins with the Hebrew letter Aleph. And in Bet, every uh, uh, verse of that stanza begins with the Hebrew letter Bet and, and so on down the way. Psalm 119 is consistent in its subject. Psalm 119 is a song about the Word of God, about the law of the Lord. In fact, the psalmist uses eight different terms for the Word of the Lord. He calls it the law of the Lord, his commandments, his statutes, uh, his precepts, his testimonies, so on and so forth. Eight different terms for the Word of God. And at least six of those different terms are used in every single stanza of this psalm. Maybe you noticed that uh, in the days ahead as you were reading Psalm 119, preparing for this morning. If not, go back and read Psalm 119 and see how many different ways, how many different sort of perspectives the psalmist brings to God's Word throughout this uh, entire poem. It's a wonderful song. It's a wonderful psalm. Psalm 119 leads us, as we read through it and and understand it, leads us to love God's Word for the way that it endures in the life of the psalmist and in our lives as well, and to love God's Word for the way that it applies itself to every situation of our lives. We who are here and studying Psalm 119 this morning, I hope that after having studied some of Psalm 119, that we would in turn uh, go to Scripture, which is the only clear and specific revelation of God, the only clear and specific word He has given to us about Himself and our need for salvation. And turn to his word regularly for a full, happy, wise, confident, grateful, and worship-filled life. There are are as many ways to go about preaching Psalm 119 as there are verses in Psalm 119. And the way that I would like to go about looking at Psalm 119 today is to revisit how the word of the Lord 
connects to, and the way that the psalmist demonstrates this, connects to each of the different genres of psalms that we have looked at up to this point. And so we're going to read several of these verses, and for uh, convenience and, and, and for your own help, I won't ask you to stand uh, as we normally do for every stanza that we uh, read of Scripture this morning. But as we begin, I want to begin with this point, that the Word of the Lord has divine authority. The word of the Lord has divine authority. Will you stand with me if you're comfortably able as we read this, the, the first stanza that we'll look at this morning in verses 89 through 96 of Psalm 119. <clears throat> We're going to be kind of all out of, uh, all out of order and out of place today, okay? So just keep your Bibles open and, and be ready to flip back from page to page. Psalm 119, beginning of verse 89, the psalmist writes, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day. For all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts. For by them you have given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I've seen a limit to all perfection but your commandment is exceedingly broad. And God bless us as we study his word. You may be seated. First point today that we learn from Psalm 119 is that the word of the Lord has divine authority. This takes us back to the divine kingship psalms that we looked at uh, uh, last week. See, the, the Lord uh, as a king reigning, ruling over the universe, being uh, rejoiced in as he arrives to his people. Just as God is a divine king, so also his word has divine authority. He who commands the heavens, when he speaks, the people listen. The scriptures, as we have them before us, and these uh, volumes of God's word that we hold in our laps this morning, these scriptures are the very word of God spoken by him through those human authors that he has inspired over the, over the millennia by his Holy Spirit to write them. Paul says to the young pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, he says, all scripture... These words are breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The psalmist says of the king's word here in verse 89 that his word is firmly fixed in the heavens. It is forever fixed. The word of God as spoken by the only divine king of the universe will never fade or fail, the psalmist is telling us. Its truth itself will never change. It is fixed. You know, Jesus said in the last week of his life, Jesus, the divine king in flesh, the Messiah that God promised would come to bring salvation to the world. Jesus said during the last week of his life in Matthew 24, 34, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Peter reminded the church in 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Moreover, we see that God, this divine king, calls all things to be his servants, and his law is the delight of the psalmist. He has seen a limit to all perfection, and yet the commandment of the Lord is exceedingly broad. It should be no wonder to us that God's divine authoritative word should last forever. It is spoken by a divine, never-ending, eternal king. 
And as the psalmist notes in verse 96, that he has seen a limit to the perfections of the world, a limit to the beauty of the symmetry of things, a limit to the value of gold or diamonds, a limit to the majesty of the created world. There is no limit to the perfection of God's commandments. And so as good as anything in this world can be, as, as great or as perfect as anything in our world can seem, nothing exceeds the perfection of God's word. There is no limit to it. Dear friends, in light of the fact that the word of the Lord has divine authority, you ought to, you need to decide today whether you will believe and submit to the word of the king. That's a very simple application of understanding that God's word has authority. If God is king over all things and he has spoken, we have an obligation to respond to what he has said. If scripture is indeed from God, then it conveys uh, truth to us that demands a response if you're a Christian claiming faith in Jesus Christ this morning, just determine in your hearts to be obedient to his word. Perfectly, you're already determined that way, but redetermine, reaffirm your determination to be obedient to God's word, to live your life in accordance to it, to follow Jesus as he uh, commands us to follow him. And for those who are not yet followers of Jesus, my prayer for you today is that you would be compelled by the beauty and the truth of the words of scripture to see the God who has spoken them and to trust in his love for you, and to believe in the power that he has to bring you to himself, to overcome the power of sin in your life through trusting his son Jesus who died to bring you forgiveness and rose again from the dead to make you right with God the Father. The word of the Lord has divine authority. Second, the word of the Lord makes us wise unto salvation. Turn to the beginning of Psalm 119. The word of the Lord makes us wise unto salvation. The psalmist writes here in Verse 1, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. And if I may just read a couple of verses beyond that in uh, the second stanza. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your words. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Psalm 119 begins like many wisdom songs do. Comparing and contrasting the blessed life, the blessed life with the cursed life. Now, in Psalm uh, 119, verses 1 through 8, the psalmist does not speak specifically of the cursed life, right, explicitly, but, but we can see what it looks like knowing that it's the opposite of the blessed life. The psalmist speaks of what it is uh, to be blessed, and so in knowing what it is to be blessed, we can, by uh, sort of just flipping the coin over, know what it is to be cursed. If the blessed life is to walk in the law of the Lord, as the psalmist says, then the cursed life is to live disobedient to it. If the blessed life is to seek God with all your heart, then we know on the flip side, the cursed life is to totally reject him. If a young man is to be wise, pure, and strong in the face of temptation to sin, he will need God's word to help him do it. And apart from the wisdom of God's word, man will continue to stumble in the dark, groping about from sin to sin, never finding peace or salvation. But as this first stanza demonstrates to us, to have the word of God written on our hearts is to know the Lord himself. It is to be blessed and to be saved by him. And so Paul again can say to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, 
As for you, young Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing whom you, from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord makes us wise unto salvation. Psalm 119 is a wisdom psalm in its entirety, and it speaks to how the word of God makes us wise in the sense of knowing God and being saved, being delivered from our sin. This morning, friends, in light of the word of the Lord that makes us wise unto salvation, you then be wise. Seek wisdom by seeking forgiveness of sins through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. If the word of the Lord is able to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus, then that is how we ought to read this book from Genesis to Revelation as to how we, ought, we, we are to better know Jesus and come into a, a saving relationship with him, to placing faith in him. This is the pinnacle of wisdom according to scripture, to know the very son of God as Lord and King. More than just knowledge coupled with experience, wisdom is seeing the greatest truth that has ever been revealed to humanity and embracing it with faith. Friend, can you rightly count yourself wise this morning? The Word of God intends to make us wise to the point of salvation. Now listen, you don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be very old. You don't have to have a lot of knowledge or several different letters that, uh, that refer to degrees after your name to be wise. You need only to know and to trust Jesus who died for your sins. The sacred writings, these scriptures that we hold in our laps this morning, which are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. The word of the Lord makes us wise unto salvation. Third, the word of the Lord, the psalmist reminds us, Reminds us of God's faithfulness. Verses 65 through 72. This is the Tet stanza. There we read, the psalmist says, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. The word of the Lord reminds us of God's faithfulness. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word, the psalmist sings. Here he reminds us that as God speaks, so also he acts. The Lord is the prime example of integrity. What he says, he does. And what he does is what he has said. He does not lie. He does not make promises with the intent of abandoning them. In the psalmist's affliction, he returns to the faithful word of the Lord. And there he is taught by God. When his enemies slander his reputation, he clings to the never-changing precepts of the Lord. And as the psalmist relies upon the faithful word of God, he finds that in times of trial, God is faithful to his servant to teach him the value of his unfailing word. It is only through absorbing God's word in times of trial and times of temptation that we can come to find just how valuable it is. And then we can say with the psalmist, as we have embraced God's word in times of difficulty to see his faithfulness, even through those times of trial, embracing the law of the Lord there, the word of the Lord then, we can sing with the psalmist, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Because it, like you, Lord, is ever faithful. 
Dear friends, the word of the Lord reminds us of God's faithfulness. So live in God's word. Live in God's word so that you can better see his faithfulness. You know the old saying, those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it. I'd like to offer another saying that may not be as wise, but I think helps us. Rather than those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it, I would prefer to say those who know the history of God's faithfulness have hope in the day of trouble. That is to say, if we don't, right, those who do not know history are doomed to repeat it, which means if we don't look at the mistakes of our past, we're, we're only going to commit those failures, commit those mistakes again in the future, having not learned from them. But on the other side of that, if we look to God's faithfulness in the past, if we see how God has been faithful to uh, uh, deliver his people from slavery in Egypt, to call Abraham to be the father of many nations, if we see how God has been faithful to to give these promises to his people throughout the ages, particularly to like David, to give him a, a son who would reign on his throne forever, if we see how God has been faithful through the, to not just to give a message of hope and a promised Messiah through his prophets, but to bring that promise to fulfillment in Jesus, if we can see God's faithfulness in the lives of his people over centuries, over millennia, we can then better have hope in the day of trouble today. We do not have the the pleasure of foresight always to know how things are going to work out in our lives. We're not guaranteed the rest of the day. We don't know what, what tomorrow holds for us, but because we know that God has been faithful in the past, he can be trusted to be faithful today. So live in God's word so that you can better see and rely upon his faithfulness in times of trouble. Fourth, the word of the Lord gives us confidence. The word of the Lord gives us confidence. Look with me at verses 25 through 32. The psalmist says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. The word of the Lord gives us confidence. The songs of confidence that we explored earlier in this series in the Psalms, we found are those psalms that are often born out of hard circumstances and pain. But those songs of of confidence end ultimately with a a strong footing in the person of God, a a renewed uh, security in the person and the work of God. And that is where this stanza of Psalm 119 begins and ends with sureness in the the footing uh, or sure footing upon God. And when the psalmist feels as good as dead, which is where he kind of begins this psalm, he says, my soul clings to the dust. There in that place, he finds hope, shelter, and life in the word of God, saying, give me life according to your word. Though his soul melts from sorrow, he knows that the word of God alone can bring uh, 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 shape and solidity back to his spirit. The psalmist, moreover, has confidence that the Lord has answered his prayer according to his statutes. And so it is that though his soul clings to the dust, as though desperately stricken, as good as dead, the psalmist himself clings to the testimonies of the Lord. It is as though he is saying, though I am as good as dead, I am made alive by your word, Lord. 
Because the word of the Lord, because the word of God carries authority, because it makes us wise for salvation, because it is faithful for all time, we can be confident in it and confident because of it. Dear friend, I would encourage you to make the word of God the sure and steady foundation of your life. Make this unchanging, totally true word of God the sure and steady foundation of your life. You know, Jesus tells us uh, several stories, parables that help us to better understand deep truths, uh, deep spiritual truths in, in more tangible ways. Listen to the story he tells in Matthew seven, twenty-four to 27. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Dear friend, I I hope that you would make, I encourage you to make the word of God your life's foundation and trust that you will not be ashamed as you do so. The word of the Lord gives us confidence. This is a safe place to rest your life. The word of of the Lord because it points us to him and points us to his unchanging character that itself gives us confidence. Fifth, the word of the Lord we learn from Psalm 118 aids us in our lamenting. The word of the Lord helps us when we're in times of trouble. Turn with me to verses 81 through 88. Listen to the lament of the psalmist. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me, and they do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. The word of the Lord aids us in our lamenting. I might go a step further to say the word of the Lord gives us words to speak, words to pray in our lamenting. There are and there will be times in this life where we have more questions for God than answers from him. These questions are often those that come out of times of deep pain and deep sorrow, grief that seems crippling, chapters of life that start bad and seem only to get worse as each page turns. And the questions you may have in your pain, questions for God, may sound a lot like the questions that the psalmist has here in these verses. When will you comfort me, God? How long must I endure? When will you bring justice on those who oppress me? The Word of God does not intend to downplay our pain or to make light of our uh, sorrow, but instead the Word of the Lord intends to give helpful words to our agony. In his deepest despair, the psalmist here knows that there is hope in nothing else but the Word of God. That Word from the King that teaches and guides and reminds us of God's faithfulness. Listen, it is not wrong for you to cry out to God in your distress and in your pain. And it is not wrong to ask Him your many questions. God is bigger than we can ever imagine, and His purposes far exceed our ability to understand them in this life. So just be like the psalmist. Lament to God. 
And use God's word to help your lamenting. Use the questions that the psalmist asks to ask God uh, about his presence and his intention for the suffering and the pain in your life. But be also like the psalmist. Not just as you ask questions of God, but as you find your footing and your security. Not in what people say about you. Not even in what you think about yourself. But in the precepts of God, the word of the Lord, which you have hidden in your heart and not forgotten. Seek life and sustenance and rescue from God in your time of trial. Pray like the psalmist out of your hurting heart. In your steadfast love, give me life, Lord, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Friends, this morning and every day, when you hurt, when you hurt, when you grieve, when you're mourning, when you're in pain, when you're in sorrow, let the word of God shape your questions and point you to hope. Use the Word of God to shape your thinking about your suffering to point you to hope. A Christian author and professor, Elizabeth Groves, writes this. She says, What we need most in the midst of grief is God Himself. He will meet us, give us Himself, fill the void left by our loved ones, warm our hearts, lift our burdens, and He will draw us into the sweet balm of fellowship with His Spirit. And as our Father tenderly swaddles us in His love, our love for Him will grow. Our faith and trust will deepen. And even amid the the heartache of grief, we will praise Him with deep and true joy. Christian, there's no better place to go to meet God in your grief and sorrow than in His Word. Take it up and pour out your lament to Him. Sixth, the psalmist teaches us in Psalm 119. That the word of the Lord, like those songs of thanksgiving, the word of the Lord inspires gratitude. The word of the Lord inspires gratitude. Look with me at verses 97 through 104. Hear the psalmist, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, and therefore I hate every false way. Now in this stanza, the psalmist does not once use the word thanks or gratitude or gratefulness, but the tone of thankfulness is all over this stanza, is it not? See how deeply the psalmist loves the law of the Lord. How wise it has made him. How it has kept him from sin. How lovely, how sweet, how satisfying the word of the Lord is to the psalmist. He may not say explicitly, God, I'm so thankful for your word. But the things that he says of God's word can only come from a heart of gratitude. From one who has experienced it and seen the benefit that it has in his life and for which he is grateful. Friends, as you begin to rest your life upon the creator and sustainer of the universe... As you begin to rest your life in the, sa- uh, in the hands of the Savior of your soul that has spoken to us by this word, you will find yourselves in deeper love with him and with the words of his mouth, I promise you. Not a day goes by that I tem- spend time in communion with God, in prayer and through study in his word, that I do not find a-, a wonderful truth that is freshly proclaimed in this book. 
a gem of divine wisdom, godly wisdom, made visible to my heart and to my eyes by the Spirit's illumination. There's not a day that goes by in time spent in God's Word that I do not find a lovely perspective on the good news of Jesus that I had not appreciated before. There is no book like it because there is no other book spoken to men by God but it. And to know that God would condescend, that he would come down to speak to wicked sinners so that we might know the way that he has loved us by sending his son to die for us does nothing but inspire gratitude in our hearts for this awesome, awesome God who has spoken to us in his word. The word of the Lord inspires gratitude. Christian, read, reflect upon, and revisit God's word daily that you might truly appreciate his grace to us in Christ. Pick up this book daily and don't just read it habitually, read it intentionally so you might fall in greater love with Jesus who has saved you. I'm a native to Albuquerque. I was born and raised here. I've lived here my whole life, saved for about six or seven years. And as a native of Albuquerque, I have grown, let's just say, seasonally apathetic to wonderful things like the International Balloon Fiesta in Albuquerque. You wake up in the morning in the fall time and you see the balloons, you know, floating over the city and you're like, oh, I guess it's Balloon Fiesta time again. Guys, I know that the Balloon Fiesta happens in the fall, but I couldn't tell you. I know it happens on the same weekends every year, but I couldn't tell you what weekends those are. It's just like the balloons are here and I realize, oh yeah, it must be Balloon Fiesta time. When the balloons are up in the sky and some of us uh, begin to see that, particularly those who maybe live on the west side and have to commute over the river to go to work in the morning, and we see those balloons as like a harbinger of traffic doom. <laughs> Gosh, all this, now these tourists are going to be in town. They don't know how to drive anywhere in this city. And it's going to take me an hour and a half to get to work instead of 20 minutes. Thanks a lot, Balloon Fiesta. I had the privilege a few years ago in my apathy to, uh, to go down on the field uh, at Balloon Fiesta Park early in the morning for the mass ascension. And let me tell you, that was, um, that was a, a, an experience of sensory overload. If you haven't been to that, you, you need to. And you get down on the field and you, you see all these crews rolling out the, the envelopes of the, the balloons. They begin opening them up, uh, blowing uh, air in there with these uh, ginormous, uh, insanely loud fans. And then they start hitting the burner and you hear the, the roar of the flame heating up the air inside the balloon. And you watch it kind of rise up into the sky before your eyes and you realize, oh my gosh, these things are enormous. These, these balloons are huge and the colors are more vibrant and they begin to lift up off the ground and you... You hear the, the sort of excited and terrified squeals of people in the gondolas as they're rising into the, into the sky. You, you, you get on the field of the balloon, uh, balloon Fiesta Park a whole different perspective on the Balloon Fiesta than when you're trying to just commute to work against the traffic that the Balloon Fiesta brings. I've had occasion to sit atop um, uh, uh, an office building that sits downwind from Balloon Fiesta Park. And during the mass ascension, the balloons come literally like flying right at your face and over your head. And just it's, it's wave after wave after wave of hot air balloon and all the special shapes and everything. You get to see the balloons. You experience their, their presence in, in ways that are totally different than just 
viewing them from the, the vista that we have you know, here from the west side looking east. And all of a sudden, you lose your apathy for, these things, for, for this whole fiesta because now you've seen it in a new light. You've seen it in a different perspective. When we take in the balloon fiesta, these things that natives to Albuquerque become so easily apathetic to, when we take them in from different perspectives, it changes how we view everything about them. And so now I've grown to to not be sort of, uh, not not to have this sort of despising attitude in my heart toward the balloon fiesta, but to enjoy it. Realize there's people from all over the world that are coming to Albuquerque for for this sort of thing. And there's opportunity for for me to meet some new new friends, uh, experience maybe different cultures, all these different things. All of a sudden, there's just this whole new perspective on it. Dear friends, so much and more when we come to God's Word with a fresh perspective every day. Now, by that, I don't mean you forget everything that you learned about God's Word the day before to look at it today or tomorrow, whatever. But as we spend time absorbing, reading, reflecting upon, visiting God's Word daily, and not just our favorite verses, but the verses we've never bothered to read before, as you spend time in Second Chronicles you will see a fresh perspective on God and His grace and His mercy, His love for you. As you spend time in Jude, you will see a fresh perspective on God's grace to you in Christ Jesus and your need for greater faith day by day in Him. As you study God's Word, and not just your favorite parts, but all of it, you will grow in deeper gratitude for God as you come to know Him better and more fully. I can give you no greater prescription as your pastor than to read, reflect upon, and revisit God's word daily that you might truly appreciate his grace to us in Christ. May we never grow apathetic because we only look at this word from one perspective. May apathy not be a thing that defines us as a family of faith about God's word. But may may gratitude and deep appreciation be that which God causes to well up inside of us as we spend time in his word. Seventh and finally... The word of the Lord moves us to worship. The word of the Lord moves us to worship. Turn with me to the last stanza of Psalm 119. Beginning in verse 169, the psalmist says, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a sheep, like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. The word of the Lord moves us to worship. The first of the types of psalms that we considered seven weeks ago were hymns. Those kinds of songs of praise and worship to God that appear to us throughout the Psalter. And here in the final stanza of the longest psalm, the psalmist sings of how the word of God has moved him to worship. Do you see it? He says, my lips will pour forth praise because you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word because all your commandments are right. Your law is my delight. Let my soul live and ever praise you. After all his reflection upon the work uh, of the word of God on his soul and on his life, the psalmist can seem to do nothing else but praise God who has spoken. Notice he does not worship the scriptures themselves, But through them, he worships the God who spoke them. 
Now listen, we as a church place a high, high, high value upon the word of God. It is his specific, special revelation. It is how God has spoken to us. But we do not worship this book. Rather, by this book, we come to worship in spirit and truth the one who has spoken the words in it, right? We don't, we don't hold up the Bible as an idol to be worshipped, but the Bible, which is the word of God, which God has spoken to us, is absolutely crucial for our worship of God. We cannot know God and worship him as he deserves to be worshipped unless he speaks to us by his word, right? And, and, and neither can, can we uh, really know what God has, has uh, come to know God in spirit or in, or in truth uh, in the ways that he has revealed himself in the world apart from his word. So in order to know God, we must, must have his word. In order to worship him rightly according to the way that he deserves to be worshipped, we must have his instruction to tell us how to do it. Friends, we know that we are made in God's image to know him, to love him, to worship him. We cannot know him apart from him making himself known to us. We cannot love him apart from him first having loved us. And we cannot worship him apart from being in relationship with him on his holy and gracious terms. We know the character of God through what he reveals to us in his word. We come to understand his love for us through what is spoken to us in this word. And we, so knowing and so loving God, are moved to, ought to be moved, to worship in spirit and in truth the God who speaks to us by his word. Friend, this morning, my encouragement, my final exhortation to you, after looking at Psalm 119, is this. To know God truly, to love him deeply, and to worship him rightly with the help of his word. There is no greater hymnal, there is no greater order of service, there is no greater uh, uh, guide and director to our worship than the very word of God that he has spoken to us. Know God truly, love him deeply, worship him rightly with the help of his word. I pray that the word of God through the Apostle Paul would be fulfilled in us today and more so each day and with each passing week and each passing year as we give ourselves to know God through his word. As Paul writes to the church in Colossae in Colossians three sixteen and 17, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Amen. teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As this word dwells in us richly, our lives will result in worship and praise of a God who speaks. The church father, John Chrysostom, one of the first sort of book-by-book, verse-by-verse preachers of Christian history, in the first two, three hundred years after Jesus uh, was born, said this. He said, listen carefully to me. Procure copies of the scriptures that will be medicines for the soul. And don't simply dive into them, swim in them. Keep them constantly in your mind. May this word that God has spoken, his divine authoritative word, that leads us to be grateful, that helps us in our lamenting, that gives us confidence, helps us to remember his faithfulness, his word which makes us wise into salvation, and his word that leads us to worship him rightly. May it 
dwell richly in us who know Christ and by faith are trusting in him for salvation. May his word move us not just to worship corporately as we gather together, but worship privately. And may that worship and our love for God lead us to be more bold and faithful ambassadors of the gospel that has brought us near to Jesus. Don't simply dive into this word, dear friends. Swim in it. Keep it constantly in your mind. Let's pray.